0: hey there beautiful people you're listening to episode 70 of movie oubliette the equator spanning podcast for forlorn unrequited films with me conrad leaving a trail of rose petals to my door in cambridge uk
1: and me dan adorning every available surface with crepe paper hearts (laughs) down here in melbourne australia
0: (laughs) We find ourselves strangely attracted to sci-fi, fantasy and horror films because wandering around dark, wet tunnels and necking in a room full of sweaty overalls is our idea of a romantic night out. Oh. (laughs) Hello, Dan. (laughs) Hello. I'm swooning, Conrad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. We've never celebrated Valentine's Day before. No. Well, I guess there aren't that many Valentine's-themed genre films. Uh, Are there? Not really. No. I mean, is it a big thing in Australia or New Zealand? I would say it's just another marketing ploy to sell more stuff for shops over here. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I guess it is. I mean... You'll often see people walking around with bunches of flowers on that day. Yeah. So for the most part. <laughs> it is a ridiculous holiday. But we thought
0: that we would celebrate it this time because we have a movie to discuss on that theme. So ah, but first off anything in the mailbag conrad we do yes uh we heard from legendary bass player guy pratt on hackers he said do you mention the grand central track i did that features david gilmore oh okay <laughs> <laughs> which uh, yeah we didn't and uh the matos came back and said i think we mostly talked about the soundtrack and not the score i was happy to finally get some of those tracks on the record store day edition
1: hmm oh, okay I do feel sorry for composers of movies where they do have majority of, of the music is soundtrack. Like, you know, the yeah. composer from The Matrix probably gets zero recognition because of that soundtrack.
0: Yeah, I know. And he worked really hard. That's Don Davis. And he did loads of really experimental stuff with the orchestra, working with some of the artists that are on the soundtrack. Uh huh. Um, like for the um, car chase sequence in the Ah, second movie. It's amazing. It's an incredible track to listen to, but, yeah, nobody remembers (laughs) what he did. (laughs) All they can think of is uh, really sort of high-profile techno tracks, I Mm, suppose. Yes,
1: yes, yes.
0: So, yes, sorry, Guy Pratt, we didn't talk about your tracks, but, yes, very pleased that it was finally revealed that David Gilmour was, in fact, on that track because it was an enigma for quite some time, whether it was him or not. Oh, right, Uh, right because that track, I don't think it had been released, and it's only just recently that the whole soundtrack has come out. Ah, so, right. It's on Vérez Sarabande now, if anybody would like to buy it. Yes. We also heard from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures. Oh, hello, Serge. Hello, Surge. <laughs> Who said, I have started and stopped hackers three different times <laughs> in the last week. But I can't seem to finish it. Maybe I'm not in the right mood. But I just find it disappointingly contrived and aggressively joyless.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
0: That's a lot of hate. It is. If for nothing else, hacking is treated like a magic trick, not a process. On paper, it should work. A group of disparate rivals with common interest team up to defeat a corporate goon who targets them all. But every single scene in the first half, at least, is just characters being condescending assholes to each other. And I don't know why anyone bothers.
1: <laughs> oh, that's the 90s, though. You have to be condescending. You do. It's yeah. a form of camaraderie. So true. <laughs> I know. I have to say I'm with him. I don't like the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe I'm just biased because I grew up in the 90s. Quite possibly, yeah. I wish I'd had the courage of my convictions
0: in the episode and said that I wanted to bin it back in the Oubliette, but I was just so
1: starstruck by
0: Lamatos that
1: I didn't <laughs> want to do it. Mm. I will still stand by cultural impact. It's about the cultural impact.
0: Yeah. It definitely
1: has that. <laughs> so, yes, that's
0: Hackers. But what film are we going to be talking about today,
1: Dan? Well, we did allude to it before, Valentine's theme. Mm. I'll just go grab it. Oh, <sighs> Oh! there's a uh, box of chocolates. Ooh, nice. I'll just rummage through. Oh, there's, I'll just push this bloody heart aside. Hang on. Ugh. Oh, yeah, I hate those. I always leave those. <laughs> All right, I've got it. Ah. Oh,
0: I'm telling you now
1: this town is accursed i have a few of chocolate along the way mm. <laughs> <laughs> Quite tasty. Mm. so what have you found for us so today we are doing valentine's themed 80s slasher my bloody valentine Ooh. so it came out in 1981 directed by george Mihalka and written by stephen a miller and john beard It stars Paul Kalman, Laurie Hellier, Neil Affleck, Keith Knight, Alf Humphreys, Don Franks, Patricia Hamilton, Larry Reynolds, and Jack Van Avera as Happy, the most appropriately named bartender. (laughs) (laughs) I have never heard of any of these people. So what happens in this movie? (laughs) Well, in the small mining town of Valentine Bluff's, we meet a ragtag group of 20-something-year-olds as they ready themselves for the Valentine's Day dance. But that particular romantic day is marred by a series of murders that happened 20 years ago when a surviving minor from an accident, Harry Warden, seeks revenge on his supervisors with bloody murder. Oh my. 20 years later... With a Valentine's dance seemingly going ahead, human hearts start turning up in chocolate boxes as the <laughs> gas-masked, wearing, pick wielding killer returns. Oh my. Throw in a love triangle, an ominous bartender, cases of beer, and it's a very amorously fatal day indeed in 80s slasher, my oh. Bloody Valentine. Oh
0: my, well, I'm cracking open a can of
1: moosehead beer and getting ready for this one. Yeah, so get comfy couples listening out there, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Welcome back, listeners. Today we are celebrating Valentine's Day by looking back at My Bloody Valentine, the 1981 Canadian slasher film that this year is celebrating its 40th anniversary. Dan, had you seen this movie before? No. No? I had not. Had you? No, me neither.
1: You know what that makes it. Oh <laughs> Yes. <Yeah>. Double Blind. <laughs> Indeed, I mean, it is... One of the two genres of horror that I don't particularly enjoy as much. It's a slasher. Yeah. Slashers for me tend to be very formulaic. They just follow the template that slashes follow. Mm. I do want to talk briefly about the cast and crew. Mm. So you mentioned you'd never heard of anyone. I'd never heard of anyone, but I did look it up. They're all Canadian, obviously. Yeah. So Don Franks, who plays Chief Newbie, he uh he does a lot of voice acting. Ah. Actually, he does some voice work in Care Bears, ah. the X Men animated series, Star Wars droids, and Ewoks oh, wow. as well. So um. Quite prolific in that area. And what was most interesting, though, was Patricia Hamilton, who plays Mabel. Mm. She is the character Rachel Lynde from the very renowned and family-loved TV show Anne of Green Gables. Oh, so, my goodness. <laughs> it must have been so fun for Canadians to watch a beloved character... Get killed <laughs> in a horror yeah. slasher.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess it's just like watching Rogue and seeing various very, very familiar faces oh. being savaged to death by yes. a crocodile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a, yeah, very much a Canadian movie. It's part of that whole tax shelter era, mm-hmm. um, which is often known as con exploitation. So from 1974 to 1982, the government increased the tax credits for film production to 100%. Oh, right. And it was meant to sort of encourage the almost non-existent film production industry in the country oh. and it produced David Cronenberg and Ivan Reitman so it, you know we got a lot from it but it also produced an awful lot of exploitative crappy <laughs> horror movies yeah, yeah a large raft of them that were produced only just to stuff money in a tax shelter basically they weren't even expected to draw a profit okay so you ended up with films like My Bloody Valentine and a few others that we've talked about including Black Christmas of course
1: oh. Oh, okay. How about One Magic Christmas? Is that lumped in there? It could be. Yeah, no, actually it could be. (laughs) I mean, I feel like one of the worst parts of this movie is the fact that You don't see much gore. You don't see much killing. Like those are the best parts of a slasher film. Well,
0: see, that's interesting because which version of the movie did you watch? I don't know. I'm not sure. Ah, (laughs) So essentially when this movie first came out, it came out in the wake of Friday the 13th, which caused a bit of a shockwave across the industry
1: because they couldn't quite believe that so much... Sex and gore and all the rest of it. that's a pretty gory film. That's gruesome. That knife kill through the bed is, oh, that's something uh, you don't see every day. No, it's Kevin Bacon too. So,
0: yeah, it's a bit of a shocker. So in the wake of that, there was a bit of an outcry. So every slasher movie that followed in its wake, and there were a lot of them, Uh the MPAA felt that it had to come down hard. And the director talks about the fact that it was sort of death by a thousand cuts On this movie Right All of the attack sequences They just kept cutting Frame after frame after frame And sending it back And the MPAA would say "Mm, 10 frames more 7 frames more Until eventually There was nothing left And worse than that Uh. Because they were cutting the actual negative and because every time you make a cut, you kind of damage the frame before and after where you're cutting.
1: Yeah, you can't put it back.
0: It's very difficult to put it back. Right. So the original version of this movie had absolutely no gore in it at all. Oh, wow. If you watch it. So I'm I'm wondering if that's the version you saw because it was subsequently remastered in 2009 by Lionsgate and they put as much of it back in as they could find. And that was later restored again by Scream Factory last year and rescanned in 4K. And they scanned as much of the negative as possible, so it looks pretty good now. And there's about two and a half minutes of gore reinstated. Right. But there's still a lot missing. Yeah. But that was the version I watched. Right. So, for example, when the bartender happy, <laughs> yeah. When he gets a pickaxe through the chin, did you see his eye pop out? No, no, I didn't. Oh my. Oh, no, oh, I watched
1: the yeah. cut-down version, didn't
0: I? I think you've seen the cut-down version that doesn't have any death in it at all. Oh, oh wow. I feel ripped so off. So this is going to be
1: interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you were. So this will be interesting. So we've both seen very different versions of this movie. So you can play the part of somebody who saw it in 1981.
1: Oh, okay, yes. And I can oh. be the
0: person who saw it in 2009 and afterwards.
1: Oh, yeah. I feel very disappointed now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you've missed all the gore and the film is significantly different with the gore in it Mm. although some of the scenes
1: are better than others Mm. i mean i do want to start off as well talking about the location Mm. it's different to normal slashes normal slashes are just in dormitories or the city but this is in this tiny tiny mining town in the middle of nowhere in canada Mm. and most of the characters are miners
0: yeah they seem to be going for ordinary people the director said he didn't want any Barbie dolls in the movie. So they're not teenagers. Hmm. I mean, they're young people, but they're working, you know, they're working class guys. And, you know, instead of you always talk about how slasher movies are just ridiculously good looking people in great clothes being picked off one by one. I mean, these guys aren't really, I don't want to be rude, but they're not catwalk models, particularly.
1: Yeah, I did watch it with my wife and she did say a lot of the women do look quite beautiful. And my response was no one looks caricatured because mm. often in slashes, everyone looks very overly featured in how they look or how they present themselves. Everyone kind of dresses about the same. Yeah. There's no stoner guy or surfer dude or, you know, like the real terrible cliches that you normally get in slashes. Everyone is a minor. And they wear appropriate clothing for winter. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And all their clothes apparently are from thrift stores because the director said that was one thing he hates is watching movies where people are wearing stuff that you can still see sort of like the hanger marks on it where it's just come yeah. out of the yeah. store. brand new. Yeah. Everybody looks <laughs> Never pristine yeah. and highly styled. He actually wanted real working people in a small town mm. being preyed upon by
1: this terrible killer. Mm. So, yeah, it's different. It is different. I also looked up (laughs) other horror movies set in mines. (laughs) And there (laughs) are uh, many. There are a few. Uh, There's one called Beneath. There's one called The Boogans, which looks horrendous. It's it's a typical 80s creature feature. Uh, And then there's The Mine and another 80s film called Demonoid. But yeah, there aren't that many. When I was trying to think of mining type environments, I was thinking of. The Descent yeah. or The Cave. Yeah. Um, there's also a movie called Graveyard Shift, which is not technically a mine. I think it's just a mill or underneath a mill. Yeah, That movie's terrible, but I would love to cover it. <laughs> I would love to cover it.
0: <laughs> it's a Stephen King adaptation, it is, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is.
1: 1990. But it's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Of all the mining-setting movies I looked up in terms of horror, this was the only one that was a slasher. Right. Most of the other ones were either put people in a difficult spot and see what happens, or there were creature features. Right. So, yeah, this seems to be the only slasher set in the mine. Yeah, so it's unique. It is, it is. (laughs) Anyway, I did love the mining setting. I also, even though it was very archetype slasher. The killer was interesting as well. The look of the killer, Mm. the fact that he was just in the same get up as the miners, with the gas mask being the most menacing part, of course.
0: Yeah, he's kind of halfway between Michael Myers and Darth Vader with his mask on, breathing all the time. But the breathing isn't like Darth Vader. So hats off to the sound designer. He managed to do something that sounds very different, very much pipe based sort of yeah I mean it's yeah. very
1: reminiscent of you know Halloween yeah and with all the sort of point of view shots as well from the killer point of view and yeah. it's funny watching slashes and seeing the weapon they choose like what will the killer use oh a pickaxe I haven't seen that before yeah <laughs> it is Which different is good yeah. as well <laughs> yeah
0: and also he's kind of like the milk tray man because after he's killed people he leaves behind a heart shaped box
1: of chocolates with their heart in yeah <laughs> yeah and a sweet little poem <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Different. I know. I mean, that's a lot of effort to go through as well. You know, you kill a person, you rip out their heart, you have a chocolate box that you've got prepared, you take out all the chocolates, put the heart in, you write a little poem. Yeah. That's a... A lot of effort. I know. And what does he do with the chocolates? Because he doesn't
0: eat them because he's quite svelte. Yeah. So he must just be throwing these chocolates away, which is a terrible oh, waste. Awful.
1: Uh, <laughs> I hope he's just buying the boxes in bulk. Like wholesale. Look <laughs> at <got> a warehouse <laughs> of boxes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Another thing that distinguishes this movie from Halloween, where it was always Michael Myers, and Friday the 13th, where it was usually Jason, not in the first one, obviously, but usually it was, and Black Christmas, which never made the identity of its killer clear. Mm. This one has a who-done-it aspect, yes. as in who is behind the mask doing all the killing, because spoilers, it's not the sole survivor of the mining accident.
1: After all, it's somebody else entirely. It is. I did find the reveal was obvious, Mm. you know, like who else would it be? I mean, (laughs) mean, they tried to give the whole red herring thing with TJ. I mean, there's that scene where TJ just falls through a stone wall or something and disappears and they just don't investigate. Yeah. And, And then Axel falls into a pool of water and... They don't investigate. Yeah.
0: That's a trick from Death on the Nile, actually. Spoilers for Death on the Nile. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, if somebody vanishes halfway through an Agatha Christie and their body isn't found, then it's like, uh uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So the reveal for me was a letdown. It was just kind of obvious who it was going to be. Mm. And I hate it in movies how you don't know who the killer is and as soon as they're revealed for some reason they're suddenly maniacal yeah (laughs) he's just ripped off of his arm it's 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 come off and he just starts laughing like the joker while running down this mine it's what (laughs) oh it's
0: worse than that in the uncut version he actually hacks his own arm off (gasps) oh wow yes 127
1: hours styly. (laughs) Yeah. That makes much more sense knowing that I watched the cut version Mm. because there were so many scenes that seemed unfinished. Yes. Or they would start a murder scene and then it would cut away. And I just thought, what just happened? (laughs) Yeah,
0: you're missing like half the movie.
1: So Well, the
0: parts of the movie that people wanted to see. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The character thing, you're right. The director said that he did the approach of not telling them who the murderer was and leaving the page out of the script where the killer was revealed. But the actor who plays Axel, Neil Affleck, has since said in interviews, yeah, but before production started, I was sent to the special effects house to have a cast taken of my arm so they could make a fake arm and then at the end of the movie the killer hacked his arm off and I thought well okay it's me then isn't it yeah yeah (laughs) so he knew so it's not even as though Neil Affleck has the excuse that his performance radically changes to insane halfway through the movie because he didn't know he was the killer he did I think both Axel and TJ are supposed to be sort of violent and threatening all the way through the movie. So it could be either of them. And there are a few other red herrings. like There's a guy that picks up a female character by her head sort of playfully earlier on in the film, and that's the way that she dies. I don't know. There are supposed to be lots of red herrings, but when you find out who it is, it's not really all that shocking.
1: I felt like they could have had more characters potentially be the killer. Yeah, having two characters potentially be the killer. Well, there's not much sort of leeway for you know um, misdirection. No, not really. I mean, you had other characters
0: like the uh, the guy that's the Joker, Howard who keeps jumping out at them. And he seems like such an affable, lovable guy that you could see them doing like a third act twist where actually
1: he's insane.
0: Yeah, possibly. he got his head ripped off, so no. Although not in the version that you saw. (laughs) Oh, this is all
1: new. It's like I haven't even watched the movie. You're telling me all this stuff I've never even seen.
0: Yeah, it's radically different in that cut. But yeah, you're right, there aren't enough characters. Because, I mean, a lot of TV shows, when you finally find out who the killer is, it's like, yeah, some butler that was in two scenes. And <laughs> yeah. the reason is ridiculous. And oh, it yeah. is fair to say that the reason
1: in this movie is ridiculous too. It's insane. <laughs> what? doesn't make any sense. His father was one of the victims of the original killer. Yeah. And then he... Becomes the killer. What? But
0: only twenty years later. Why? I don't know. That's a lot of repressed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anger, and then he sees some love heart bunting and goes insane. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Why? why Doesn't make any I mean, sense. Why
1: is he so offended by the celebration of Valentine's Day? Because it reminds him of his his father's,
0: father's death. death. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, I know. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever psychologically, and so it's not terribly satisfying. Although Neil Affleck does do a good job of being insane doesn't make a lot of sense
1: Were they setting it up for a sequel?
0: I don't think so. I mean, certainly the director doesn't indicate that that was on his mind and he moved on to other things. I mean, he's never directed another horror film since. His other most famous film is a satirical drama movie in French, La Florida, which was the highest grossing Canadian film of the year in 1993. Right. I mean, he has said that he would come back and do one of where are the characters now 40 years on and how have they dealt with their horrific traumatic experience but Yeah I can't see anyone bankrolling that movie (laughs) I did look up
1: his yeah his other films he does he has done a lot of TV Mm. but he's done a film called The Psychic and one of the stars of that is Catherine Mary Stewart so oh really yeah Ah, Catherine yes (laughs) looks like an interesting sort of horror and there's another movie he's done called Hostile Takeover which is set during Thanksgiving so another Uh, celebration day well they were very popular at the time (laughs) it seems yes yeah I mean talking about about sort of unexplained scenes as well um Who was the woman at the start? I don't understand
0: that at all. (laughs) I mean, it's obviously one of those give the audience something that gives them a sense of the horrors to come, you know, sort of keep them interested with the pre-titled death scene or whatever. But I just do not understand that at all. Is it a fantasy? Why is there a female miner who looks like she was a centrefold 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. Why are they trying to have sex in a mine? Why does he kill her? How does it fit in with... With his revenge scheme, does anyone miss her? Who is she? Yeah, <laughs> I, just... I
1: mean, my my biggest question was, was she just an out-of-towner? Was she a tourist? Like, no one seemed to be worried for some missing woman at all. It hasn't yeah. shown up in the news or anything, so... Yeah, it seems to be like just a, a death scene for the sake of horror.
0: Yeah, it seems completely exploitative too. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie
1: at all. To me, it seemed very shallow. Yeah. When she screams, is that crash zoom into, into her mouth. mouth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to Intruder. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, structurally, this film is a little bit wonky, I think, because Halloween has this thing of something terrible happened on Halloween 20 years ago, and now it's coming back to roost or whatever. That's fine. You show the original horror and then cut to modern day. This one has the original horror, then something that happens a year later... And then cuts to modern day, and it's even worse in the Lionsgate two thousand and nine three D remake because they they have the original thing, the thing that happened a year later, and then they have what happens in this movie in the first ten minutes, and then you cut to ten years after that, and it's like, oh my god, wow. this is like a Russian doll of setup. I can't follow this at all.
1: Was so that opening scene was that the original horror? I thought it was present day. I think it is present day yeah so I don't understand where that fits at all mm. it makes no sense in the slightest none at all no I did like the Dutch tilts of it though <laughs> <laughs> one of those Dutch tilts of the mind oh yeah
0: well that's one thing to be said about the film I mean it does look good And the use of the mine is very impressive. It's a real mine. You know, it took 45 minutes, I think, for the elevator to get down to one mile below the sea, which is where they were. No. They could only film on some days because the methane levels would get too high. They had to have special lights so that the light bulbs wouldn't burst and set the methane off and kill them all. So it was really difficult circumstances that they were filming under, but they really make good use of it. I mean, you don't see the same part of the mine twice. Mm. They use lots of different locations and it's lit in a way so that you can see it but there's plenty of shadows and dark places for the killer to hide. They have a Action scene on a mine car They have an action scene on a ladder You know there's They really did put the location to good use And it looks gorgeous I mean it's not mm. a cheapo throwaway movie It looks great Well because
1: I mean I guess because it was a real location Yeah The director does say in the commentary They had to repaint the mine though Because <laughs> What to make it look old <laughs> Well because it's a real mine But I think it's abandoned mm. uh, It's no longer in use It's called the Sydney mine And when they heard Oh oh, we're going to use your mind for this film. They thought, oh, we'll clean it up. We'll make it all nice and, <laughs> nice and new looking. So they painted it white. It's pristine. Oh, bless them. The director says in the commentary that it was so white it looked like it was from a disney film oh god (laughs) and they had to repaint it to make it look old again which is crazy oh Oh,
0: bless them good for their pride in their town though i think that's great i feel
1: sorry for the people that had to paint it and then repaint it
0: (laughs) have you suffered through the remake well because i tried and I got about 30 minutes into it
1: and then got really, really annoyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, but the 2000s, they seem to love remaking 80s slasher. It seems
0: they really did, yeah, with questionable results. In fact, I'm not sure that there was a single good one, was there? <laughs> no, you can't take 80s slasher out of the 80s, it just doesn't work. No, I don't think. Well, this one that I watched, I mean, I got to the point where there was an extended sequence where a woman was running around in a car park at night, completely naked, and it was full frontal Ugh, nudity no. for about 10 minutes,
1: and I thought, no 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 (laughs) (laughs) that is one thing i did want to praise about this film it is not hugely exploitative i mean the first scene yes Mm. but everything after that all the girls are wearing appropriate clothing
0: yeah although there is a sex scene or at least you know a couple peel off from the rest to go and have a private intimate moment together it's not terribly exploitative because you don't really see anything. Okay. Um, Do you
1: see their death in the uncut version?
0: You don't. You see the result of it. So they're impaled on, I think it looks like a drill bit or something. Yes. So somebody discovers them, and it's the old uh, crude mockery of penetration, because they're skewered together. It's the same thing, oddly enough, that happened in Friday the 13th Part 2, which was released the same year but in May, whereas this obviously was released in February. So I don't think there was any copying or cross-pollination. It was just an idea that occurred spontaneously. But apparently the director says that there is a scene missing. There was a death scene. You did see the couple getting busy. Right. And they are supposed to be virgins, so they're supposed to be doing it for the first time. And the killer first impales the guy... And because the girl has her eyes closed, she thinks that his sudden spasmodic movements are something other than what it is. Uh And she opens her eyes and looks at him and then his mouth opens and blood pours all over her face. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now that is lost to the ages, apparently. Oh. No evidence of the uh, negative has been found because I think they tried and tried and tried to get that through the MPAA and they kept saying, okay, well, if you cut this shot and if you cut this shot and if you cut. And it was just sliced and diced and the negative was ruined. Okay. So it's gone forever, I think. But it was there. Wow. Wow. And that's even more shocking than Friday part two. So. Yeah,
1: that sounds. Grizzly, very grizzly. It does, yeah. Okay, so how did the the first death scene play out with Mabel in the laundromat? In the cut version, she just
0: flops out and you get a flash cut of her burnt face. So fast. So like fast. A second,
1: I tried to watch it in slow motion and it's just motion blur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so quick.
0: Whereas in the restored version, <laughs> I think the tumble dryer starts up again and she just starts rolling around. Then... No. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. You know, the
0: dummy's, like, flopping around in all robbery. And, yeah, I think that's one case
1: where the director's cut does not help the movie. Oh, right. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. How about the other? I mean, how about the the (laughs) shower dip? I have to ask now. The girl that gets impaled on the shower nozzle. You do get a shot where the water is
0: pouring out of her mouth. And she is now a shower head. <laughs> is it a full front shot? It's not, it's just nose down. So oh. I assumed because the dummy wasn't great. Okay. But apparently there was another shot where you saw the water start to come through.
1: Um, right. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. in the cut version she's out of focus. And sort of in the foreground, and you can't really see.
0: Ah, uh, no, you get a frontal shot in the restored right.
1: version from the nose down. So, yeah. Okay.
0: So all of the murders are a little bit more explicit. Like the guy who gets his face stuck into a boiling pan of wieners, yep. you see lots of shots of his skin scalding and peeling off.
1: Ah, <sighs> oh, uh, missed out on that. Yeah. Because there was all the murder scenes, I ended up just yelling... Oh, they didn't show it. <laughs> they just keep cutting away. Ah, so this is
0: fascinating. So you've basically had the same experience that audiences had in 1981.
1: Oh, awful experience. Yeah,
0: which is probably why the movie did not do well, and it didn't. I mean, it was a budget of $2.3 million, and I think it only reaped about $5.7
1: million, despite opening in 1,200 theatres. Wow. was not a success. Uh, going back to the climax scene, I thought it failed. The sort of chase on the train track yeah. clumsy and slow. Yeah, I Very mean it, slow.
0: It doesn't compare well even with something like Indiana Jones, which was a year or two later, mm-hmm. The Temple of Doom. So it's not as though the techniques of filming at the time couldn't cope with doing an action scene like that. I think it's just they maybe bit off more than they could chew on location yeah. with the actual actors holding real shovels.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also hate it when there's a struggle, you know, you've got TJ struggling with the killer and then Sarah just hands him a shovel. Yes. What? <laughs> I hate that. Use a shovel, Sarah. Yeah. You've
0: got arms. You've got a clear <laughs> shot at him. Don't hand it to him. Just do yeah. it.
1: Ridiculous.
0: Yeah. She has no agency in the movie. I mean, we can talk about how the girls are represented and also the love triangle in the movie. I remember Scott Drebbit did warn us when we said that we were going to do this movie this year. Ah, yes. He did warn us that both the guys are dicks. (laughs)
1: They are. They
0: really are. If I were her, I'd just wander off and leave both of them. But she seems to be just sort of bouncing around like a ping pong ball between them, just Mm. waiting to see which one abducts her from work next. Mm. This is TJ. The guide abducts her from work against her will, forces her into his car, drives her off to a cliff edge and then tells her that he wants her back. I mean, he's made slightly interesting because he left the town and failed. Whatever it was that he was trying to do to start a new life for himself, it failed. So he's come back in disgrace and now he's working in his father's mine again. And his girlfriend is going out with somebody else and he wants her back. So that's... Kind of interesting as a setup.
1: I think it was interesting. It added more depth mm. to the characters. Like, they weren't just cardboard characters. A lot of the supporting cast, though, completely cardboard. Mm. I kind of got confused by them. Like, who's this guy again? Who's this girl? <laughs> like, they, they yeah, dressed the same. They looked the same. So I did appreciate at least some sort of character development with the love triangle and sort of a sense of emotional tension between the characters was was good. But
0: I think structurally, because there is so much in building up the backstory, it takes you so long to get to the main characters. And there are so many other characters, like the police chief and Mabel and Mm. their relationship and the mayor and the other people that are all... There just seem to be so many people That when you finally do get to the love triangle, I'm sort of not caring.
1: Really? I'm not invested uh, in
0: the outcome. Yeah,
1: I had the opposite reaction. I, I kind of was, I appreciated the fact that there was some sort of sense of emotion with Characters and they hmm. weren't just cliches. Um, also, in that scene, there's like swelling strings underneath them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just, oh, so very romantic. Yes. Very
0: 70s, too. It reminds me of Pino DiNaggio. Yes. The scores that he did for Eddie De Palma.
1: Right. Yeah. The whole movie, actually, very 70s. It I does, didn't find yeah. it that 80s at all. Even the, the oh. slasher genre felt like a 70s. Version of Slash Like Jello. Yeah. A lot of the kills were framed like Jello kills with the brandishing of the weapon shot and. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The close up of the mouth screaming in fear and. Yeah. Yes. The director does talk about paying homage to Bob Clark's Black Christmas in terms of his POV shots more than he talks
1: about Halloween. He doesn't talk about Halloween at all. Right, okay. So, fun little fact, the uh, composer Paul Zaza Mm. also did the score for A Christmas Story which was directed by Bob Clark.
0: Yes, and a couple of other slashers as well. I think he did Prom Night as well, didn't he? Prom Night 1, 2 and 3. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's nice music. Again, in terms of production value, this movie does have a score with a string orchestra and piano and synths. And, uh, yes, some nice original songs as well.
1: Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Folky (laughs) sing-alongs. Yeah, talking about the score again, I did feel it was a bit lacking in certain Mm. scenes. I felt like it could have been much more menacing, much more sense of foreboding. Mm. But a lot of it was very expected.
0: See, I didn't even notice it. I was listening to it before we started recording because it's just been released by Waxworks Records for the first time in 2020. They released it on Valentine's Day because I just didn't hear it. I just never heard it except for the syrupy love scenes where I thought it was too much. Mm -hmm. So otherwise, I guess it was functioning well in terms of building atmosphere without drawing attention to itself. But I
1: can't say it ever did anything for me particularly. It was just a little bit too restrained. Mm. Could have done some more heavy lifting with some of the scenes in terms of tension building. Yeah.
0: Now it's time for Random Trivia. So Dan, what fascinating nugget of trivia have you hacked out of Hanager
1: Mine today? There were a few scenes in this movie, in the bar, Mm -hmm. where they were passing the time with numerous games. But there was one game that you saw TJ playing, and I had no idea what it was. Did you know what it was? I did not know. Is it a cultural thing? Yeah, he was kind of pushing these pucks or something across a board and at first I thought he was at a pool table and he was just throwing balls down the pool table but it wasn't. Yeah, that's what I thought. It wasn't because there was another scene where there's a kind of more of a close up and you see it's not a pool table and so I looked it up and it's a game called Shuffleboard. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, which I've never heard of. Uh, No, me neither. (laughs) So this game, uh, it's it's a two-player game normally and it's this really long wooden surface with walls and sort of gutters along the edges. And so the aim of the game is to push these weighted pucks down this board as far as possible to the end to get more points without it Mm -hmm. falling off the edge into sort of the gutters. And because it's a turn-based game, the other player can also knock your pucks off. So I guess similar to curling and bowls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. But, yeah, trying to get as close to the edge as possible.
0: Is that like a Canadian thing specifically? Or is it just that I'm very sheltered?
1: I've never (laughs) heard of it. I don't think it exists in my part of the world. Uh, I did look it up. It it originated in England uh, as far back as the 15th century, and it was known back then as... Mm shove groat or slide (laughs) groat (laughs) and they didn't use pucks they used like coins apparently Um, but then it travelled to the Americas and it reached its sort of popularity during the 1940s and 50s around the second world war Mm. maybe our American listeners uh, Canadian listeners can uh, school us on how to play shuffleboard
0: yeah I'd like to have a go at that that sounds like fun that does (laughs) (laughs) and that's our trivia yes What about the sound? What did you think of the sound in the movie? Because apparently the director feels that one of the reasons why the MPAA came down on the film so hard was because it was unlike many of the other slasher movies of the year, including the early Fridays. It isn't mono, it's stereo. And they thought their soundtrack was so impactful during the attack scenes that it made them uh, more disturbing. I can't say that
1: I shared that experience myself. Yeah, I can't say. I, I didn't <laughs> notice the sound being that impactful. Mm. Obviously, I watched the <laughs> cut down version, so I didn't even see half of the murder scenes <laughs> no, with all true. the sounds you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. It was fine. Mm. A lot of the kill scenes didn't have the expected squelchy gutsy sounds mm. they seem kind of almost dull yeah that flashback scene where he kills one of the mining supervisors it's just like a real thud when he <laughs> stabs yeah. him with a pickaxe and there's no blood at all zero blood well
0: Not in your version. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Damn it. (laughs) My
0: version, he pulls a heart out of his
1: chest. Oh, yes, there is that scene still in in my version. But it it was 70s blood again. Mm. It was bright red. It wasn't 80s watery blood. No. So I was going to say the
0: effects in the movie are good. (laughs) You can't comment much really though, can
1: you? I can't. I can't.
0: So the effects are by a guy called Tom Berman or Thomas R. Berman. And he also worked on, uh, well, he contributed to the aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He worked on the 1978 Body Snatchers, uh, Sloth, in the Goonies was designed by Tom Ooh, okay. Uh Dr Jenning in Howard the Duck if you remember what he looked <laughs> oh, like oh
1: yes I love Dr
0: yeah. Jennings <laughs> that's his work too he seems to have settled into lots of medical dramas because I guess as you get older being able to just go to a regular day job and go home at the end of the day is probably preferable mm. um, so he does a lot of work on things like Grey's Anatomy and Nip Tuck ah, yes. uh, the effects I can tell you are actually <laughs> really really good
1: so it's a shame that you didn't didn't see yeah. any uh, What I What I have seen, yeah, they were good. All the scenes were either drastically cropped, obviously, to mm. have the stuff out of it, or like out of focus in the back. So Oh, no. So
0: you missed a lot of Tom Berman's great work, which mm. is a shame because there's a scene where Howard gets his head ripped off. Yeah. And the, the head is a really good fake head. Oh, and, wow. No. Yeah, the tearing is really
1: disturbing. No, nope, don't see that. Didn't see that at all. (laughs) I was actually questioning when they descended the ladder. Did his head come off? I'm not sure. Yeah. Did I ever see
0: that <laughs> no his head comes off and uh, one of the female characters gets blood sprayed across oh, her face wow. and yeah it's really gruesome Damn it. <laughs> so yeah the effects works are, yeah really incredible great stuff for 1981 just like the other pioneers in physical effects at the time right it's really good stuff
1: <laughs> good to know
0: yeah
1: <laughs> I just imagine that yeah I know this movie is stock standard slasher it takes all the boxes that needs to tick the killer is exactly what a slasher killer needs to be mask Mm. strange weapon of choice and stalking a whole bunch of people taking them out one by one and you've got you know your 20 something year olds getting killed off but I, i feel even though it seems cliche like it does everything quite well
0: yeah i mean i i didn't
1: find it scary no to be honest it was fun to me it was a fun kind of horror slasher yeah it wasn't well yeah i mean (laughs) i had a different experience it wasn't overly gruesome uh but also the characters weren't intolerable Mm. the two main guys were a bit yeah borderline annoying yeah but for the most part they weren't terrible and there wasn't, like, a lot of slashes I find really annoying, just the, the amount of screaming involved mm. as well. There wasn't a huge amount of that. For me, especially watching it for a second time, it was actually a really enjoyable watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of the screaming, there is the character of Patty, who turns into one of these um, hysterical, ridiculous uh, yes. girls who yeah. can't even walk or climb a ladder Yeah, because she's so paralysed yes. okay. with fear. And it even has the cliché of, slapping a woman to reboot her like a computer yeah, yeah. <laughs> which has a nasty flavour to it right. so yeah I find that quite uh, shrill and, and irritating at the end of the movie I mean in terms of how effective the movie is I didn't find it all that scary I didn't find some of the jump scares were particularly well engineered there's a lot of people sort of popping up in tunnels in mid or long shots where it just doesn't have any impact at all. But, I mean, this film is surprisingly well-loved, and I think it may be because it appeared on cable in its heavily cut form and was sort of like an introduction to horror for a lot of people, maybe?
1: Yeah, I sort of approached it similar to Intruder. Right. Except Intruder is obviously poking fun at the genre and yeah. it's much more of a comedy. This wasn't trying to be a comedy.
0: No. It's trying to be a good movie and it is a handsome production. You know, a lot of effort was put into it.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. You can see the production value. You can see the love and care in making a film. Yeah. In terms of what you mentioned with the scares not working, oh, the worst scare was the bartender setting up that prank. And it's just like, this is terrible. This is a terrible (laughs) setup for a scare. It's so obvious. You're just going to open and close this door many, many times until the last time when somehow... The killer's removed the dummy and replaced him and kills the, the bartender. The worst scene ever. Almost unnecessary.
0: Yeah. It's the third time as well, isn't it though? One, two. Okay, here it comes. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. As a horror movie, I didn't think it was particularly accomplished in that sense. But um, Yeah.
1: There were a few fake scares as well, but they weren't annoying fake scares, so I give them a pass. Yeah. So the first one in the rubbish dump where I mm. think it's is it TJ or Axel comes up to the other one and hands and beer beer. Yeah. But there's no stinger. There's no big loud sound, which was, was nice.
0: No. And another case where it has a POV shot for a character that turns out not to be the killer. So yes. again, another red herring just through the way that it's shot. Mm. And there's also, there's, a, there's one that reminds me of Halloween because it's the police chief bumping into a young girl as she's walking through the neighbourhood mm. this time at night. So it's like, okay, that's that scene from Halloween, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah generally i didn't find it particularly scary or well mounted or interesting but I mean, it's a handsomely made film as i mm. say i mean they did put a lot of effort into it and it means yes. a lot to a lot of people which i don't understand because in its the form that most people saw it in until 2009 there
1: isn't much there <laughs> mm, yeah i think it also the setting the fact that it was a different setting and mm. something about horror films set in small towns There's something endearing about that. Mm. I have the same feeling with Rawhead Rex, the small town setting, and pretty much every single New Zealand horror film ever made, that Mm. small town setting. It's much more sort of lovable characters I find. Yeah, the small town setting without hillbillies, mm. I find that too cliche. And the whole the hills have eyes or yeah. last house on the left or something like that. That's that's terrible.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Much prefer our small town characters in chunky knitwear.
1: So much <laughs> netwear.
0: <laughs> well, it's Canada. So. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's appropriate.
1: <laughs> Coming to you live from the movie Oubliette Theatre.
0: It's the prestigious Moobly Award.
1: It's the Moobly Awards where no amount of heavy breathing and serial killer curses will prevent us from nominating our favourite delicious Valentine's chocolate parts of the film in a number of coal-dust-coated categories. Best quote.
0: My favourite quote comes from TJ in answer to his father's question, where are you going, son? And he says, where I always go this time of day, for another beer and a real good nose pick. Oh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know whether that was in my version <laughs> of the film. Surely nose picking wasn't offensive to the MPAA. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, my favourite quote is just one of the uh, the lovely poems that uh, ah. the the killer uses. Oh, I I guess I have to say <laughs> both of them. So one of them was "Roses are red, violets are blue, one is dead." And so are you. <laughs> but why is only one dead? I don't
0: understand. Yeah. Surely if you cut flowers, they're all dead. I didn't get it. Yeah. yeah. I was questioning the poetry and the scansion. Wow, well, it's all about ominous
1: <laughs> effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And the second one. And the second one was it happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dance or it will happen thrice. Mm yeah, like a good use of thrice. Yeah, I just never in, use in that. Balance. I should use that more often in conversation. <laughs> yeah. Best, Best hair or costume. costume? Winter clothing, appropriate yes. attire. <laughs> so much mm. denim, flannel shirts, puffer jackets, knit sweaters. Oh yeah. But there is one character in the bar that I did note. Mm. He just looks like how everyone would imagine, I don't know, an 1800s fisherman looking like. So he's oh, got gosh, the beard, yes, the, the grey yeah. beard, and he's, he's smoking a pipe even. Uh, and, <laughs> and he's got one of the kind of sailor hats on. I know. He looks like he wandered in from the set of Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing there? I don't know.
0: It is a maritime town, though, I think. Oh, is it?
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: (laughs) My favourite in terms of costume is poor Mabel. Poor, lovely Mabel, who's trying to organise the Valentine's dance and has a secret crush on the police chief that's not so secret. Yes, I do love her bright red cardigan with the love heart patch stitched uh, to it yeah. and her frilly white and red blouse and her love heart hair clip that she's got in her hair she's one of these middle-aged ladies that when she's got like a holiday theme she goes full bore oh, like for yeah. days yeah <laughs> most 80s moment so for me the most 80s thing about this movie is horror movies based around holidays in the wake uh. of Black Christmas and Halloween. Practically every date in the calendar was taken up by one of these slasher movies. So you had Prom Night, Happy Birthday to Me, Mother's Day, Graduation Day, New Year's Evil, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Home Sweet Home, which apparently is based around Thanksgiving. Never seen it. Okay. And two april fool's days so wow. <laughs> there's not much left i guess in britain you'd have to have something based around bank holidays or something, <laughs> yeah, <it>. labor day <laughs> <laughs> labor Day, yeah something and i think christopher landon's happy death day is a bit of a send-up of that particular uh, yes. early 80s trend yeah,
1: it is yeah. a slasher as well <laughs> yes it is yeah yeah, I couldn't find anything that 80s about this. It felt very 70s. Everything. Yeah. The blood, the knitwear. The hairstyles. Even the, the, the portrayal of the slasher genre felt very 70s to me. So Favourite
0: scene? I'll be honest and say I didn't have one. Really? I really tried to rack my brain no. to think of a scene that I, I thought was a standout for me. I mean, generally I thought the mine finale was great just because it was filmed in an actual mine and I think they did it really well but nothing leapt out at me was there a sequence you
1: liked um actually i quite like even though it's super cliche super slasher actually super horror film you know you have your town figure that is just ominous all the time the bartender (laughs) Uh, so he tells the story of of the original killings (laughs) it's cliche yes it is um but it's I thought it was really well done. It was almost like urban legend. Oh, Um, (laughs) yeah. Like he was telling an urban legend, like a scary story to the kids uh, with the flashback. (laughs) I thought it was good. Well, that's actually my
0: horror (laughs) cliché. Ah, well, it is
1: a cliché, isn't it? Most cliché horror moment.
0: Yes, the Harbinger of Doom. I mean, they even make fun of it in Cabin in the Woods, which I really love, where they actually call him the Harbinger and they're all sick of him because that's all he does is say, you kids are gonna die, (laughs) that kind of thing. I do love that movie so much, but uh, yeah, and also I thought you got e- extra special cliche bonus points for having the flashback begin with sort of wobbly misty vision and harp glissandi. Oh yes, yeah! <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, for God's sake, really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, in terms of cliches, like there was one sort of sound cliche I might have to include as my sound of the film. When Sarah's walking home and you've got an owl hooting in the background, mm. and then she sees the shadow of the tree branches on the wall, and you have like branch scratching sound. Yeah. I of thought course. that was super cliche for horror. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or scratching against windows. They always do that.
1: Wake people up at night scratching up mm. against windows. Yes.
0: Why don't they prune their trees?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. We do have a tree outside our bedroom window. A lot of scratching. Really? I think it's
0: just laziness. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, I couldn't sleep with that happening. Oh, Not after yeah. Poltergeist. No way. <laughs> Fair call. Best special effect. Well, this is hilarious because you haven't seen any of
1: them. <laughs> I know. I mean, I have to say, my favourite effect was the f- split second of Mabel's dried, <laughs> shrivelled corpse tumbling yeah. out of the uh, the machine. Well, you
0: probably wouldn't say that if you'd seen it bumping
1: around. Uh, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That one I didn't like so much. Yeah. Well, Corin, you you seem to have the smorgasbord of effects to choose from. Which one would <laughs> I you <do>. choose? <laughs> Well, the severed head is of Howard is
0: really good, but my favourite actually is the guy, that uh, good old Happy, who comes a cropper after setting up his prank and opening the door a third time, which was clearly a bad idea. Mm. But yeah, the whole thing where the pickaxe goes up through his chin and then goes out his eye socket and his eye pops out and then you see him being dragged along the floor with the pickaxe still buried in his head. I mean, it's really gruesome and surprising and wow. shocking. Wow. And very well executed.
1: Yeah. Wow. Nope, did not see that. I think <laughs> in my cut, he it. doesn't even get it through the, the head. I think it just goes through his chest. Yeah, I think he just falls over. It's just nondescript death here. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good effect, promise you. (laughs) It's really good. At this stage, you could just be making up things, and I I would just believe you.
0: (laughs) I know, I could say anything. (laughs) And then the aliens arrive.
1: (laughs) Favourite sound effect.
0: My favourite was probably the moment when the evil miner is smashing light bulbs along the corridor. Oh yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, and they hear it and somebody says, it's probably just rats.
1: (laughs) I know, what are rats (laughs) doing in mine?
0: How? (laughs) I know, and how are they smashing light bulbs? What are they doing?
1: (laughs) Oh wow. It did make me laugh. Most funniest funniest moment. moment. So the dance is cancelled, the party's cancelled. They sort of resurrect it and have a substitute party at the mine, at this sort of common room, I guess, staff room. And they all pile in. And then for some strange reason, the guys just start throwing bread rolls around, the the hot dog buns around. And it just, what is going on? (laughs) They're just throwing them (laughs) backwards and forwards across the room. It just cracked me up for some strange reason. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and who holds? You know, if you want to have a party, who wants to go back to their office? I know. And mount one. What, go like to like someone's in the canteen. House.
1: What? That's Anything. Wrong. The the pub. Go to the pub.
0: Don't go to the mine. What are you doing? Don't know. No. Well, oddly enough, my favourite was Mabel's death in the laundromat because in my cut of the film, the version that I saw, not only did she flop out, but then the sort of spin cycle starts again and she starts sort of bouncing around and the police chief is like pulling all of these faces in horror and gripping the side of the washing machines next to it and it just goes on for far too long and this is one case where I thought no this director's (laughs) cut is making things worse cut away cut away it just looked comical poor old Mabel okay that's our move please it is
1: Hi, this is Duncan Skiles, director of The Klofitch Killer, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Ah... Uh couples out there the mine shaft elevator of love has finally reached the bottom and it's time for (laughs) final verdicts should my bloody valentine be hauled up from the hannigan mine to snort beer and eat boiled hot dogs released (laughs) into the world or should it be pickaxed its heart torn out and dropped into a murky pool sinking to the bottom of the Ooblet, Lost for All Eternity. Well,
0: I'd never seen this movie before. I was fascinated to see it because I was aware of its cult status and I was very happy to watch the remastered Scream Factory edition with all the gore Mm -hmm. put back in.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But I have to say, it left me cold... Just as cold as a deep, dark mine, to be honest. Wow. I didn't find it particularly affected. I appreciated the fact that Effort had gone into it. It wasn't a cheapo exploitation shocker. Uh, There was a bit of character depth. There were nice locations. It was a different group of people than you're used to seeing but I didn't find it particularly effective. I didn't find it particularly interesting. Slasher isn't my favorite genre anyway, so maybe that's a participating factor. I can understand why people may love it, but no, it didn't do anything for me, and I can't see myself recommending it to anybody.
1: Wow, well, wow. I mean, slasher is not my favorite genre of horror either, but I had yeah. fun with this. I actually did have oh. fun with it. It wasn't the intruder black comedy tongue-in-cheek mm. horror um i appreciated the character development and and having a setting that was much more interesting than just some unknown city i love the small town aspect I think this movie is really great for re-watches as well the first time I watched the reveal at the end was ridiculous but Rewatching it, I did have fun with it, and I really want to watch the uncut version now. So (laughs) I would release this. I think even though it is cliche in terms of slasher, it does it well. Oh, okay. Well, you know what that means. The Coin of Fate.
0: We have to get out the Coin of Fate for the first time in 2021. Okay. Hang on. It's a bit dusty. (laughs) So is it severed heads for you or tails?
1: Oh, severed heads for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's heads! Oh, Oh. Oh, your first win of the year. Wow, and it's a slasher. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't have thought. There you go. It has been released. Be free. Sarah, Mm. be
0: my bloody valentine.
1: You can have a shower now. <laughs> yeah, have a shower Watch first. for that coal. Yeah. <laughs> Slap the other films with a wet towel. (laughs) So, 80s slasher for 2021, we've done. Tick. What's next,
0: Conrad? (laughs) Well, we have a special guest next week returning from the horror quiz. Joe Lipsit will be with us. And he really wanted to do one of those 90s sexy thriller murdery movies. Oh, yes. So, we will be doing the 1998 crime thriller... A perfect murder.
1: I'm not huge on the whole erotic thriller.
0: No. Well, this is an interesting one. It's a remake of a Hitchcock movie called Dial M for Murder. I mean, it's a pretty impressive cast. You've got Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow, Viggo Mortensen and David Suchet.
1: I have seen Dial M for Murder and it definitely wasn't sexy. No. So that's <laughs> It's going to be interesting how they
0: fix it up. Yes. And Joe Lipsit will be there with us to guide us through the uh, the eroticness. So <laughs> we
1: we'll look forward to that. Yes. And if you want to look forward to our episodes, keep track of our releases also interact with us we love your messages on all social media we are on Twitter Facebook and Instagram as Movie Oubliette if you'd like to send us a love letter you can email us at
0: movie.oubliette at gmail.com
1: and if you want to send us even more love in the form of money uh, you can (laughs) become a patron on Patreon for one dollar you get to nominate films and get access to extended versions of segments from our episodes and for five dollars you get a sode once a month where we talk about new films yes
0: our first sode is out already and we talked about the south korean zombie movie alive which was good fun
1: yes yes we did
0: and while i talk about reviews you can review us on your <laughs> podcast platform of choice uh, rate and review always warms our hearts so yeah please do
1: yeah spread the love tell your friends mm. tell your family Tell your friends' families. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they've never
0: met you before.
1: <laughs> Spread the word. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us yes. in 80s slasher territory.
0: Happy Valentine's Day. I hope everyone
1: has a romantic time out yeah. there. Lots of chocolates <laughs> and less bleeding hearts.
0: Bye for now. <laughs> Goodbye. the of this forget. With us are no, no, the movie Now there, dad and he's down here somewhere. So if you want to get out of here alive you've gotta do exactly what I say.